Hey, good morning. Are you awake? I don't believe you. Hey, stand up, would you? You need to say hi to people around you for a second. There are some folks you need to welcome this morning. Would you do that? Mill around and greet them. Okay, don't get out of control now. Have a seat, would you? Hey, uh, let's have a moment of family time together. Um, just a few things for our understanding today. It's good to see you. It really is. Um, number one, as, as was already mentioned this morning, our teens are at their retreat this morning, and, and we've been praying for uh, Pastor Rice. We've been praying for our teens um, that are at uh, Pleasant Valley uh, Bible Camp. And at the same time, uh, Crossroads Farm that we support, they have their teen Bible camp and winter camp this weekend. And that would be something we could pray for. And Lake Ann Camp has their teen retreat this weekend. So there's a lot of teen ministry going on at the same time this weekend. And we're grateful for the outreach to the teen generation over this weekend, and we're praising the Lord for that. A lot of people have commented on my shirt this morning. It's hard to miss it. Um, this, is, this is my Dave Wiley shirt. And um, Dave Wiley, if you're not familiar, uh, is a dear saint of our ministry that recently uh, went home to be with Jesus and I'll tell you why it's my Dave Wiley shirt, because a few months ago I was in the Senior Saints class and talking with them. I was wearing this identical shirt, and Dave happened to pipe up in class, and he said, that shirt looks like my pajamas. <laughs> and I thought, man, he's got the coolest pajamas I've ever heard of in my entire life. So it's my Dave Wiley shirt. Anyways. Hey, another uh, family matter for us. Um, many of you have been praying for our home in New York to sell. Uh, if you're newer here, um, we moved um, almost three years ago here to northern Michigan from upstate New York, and our home had not sold. It hasn't sold, and it still has not sold. Um, but we are happy to tell you today that our home is currently under contract to sell. Um, the buyers, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? The buyers are from Big Rapids, Michigan. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and things seem to be going well for closing near the end of March and beginning of April. And if you know anything about real estate, it's a lot like opera. And um, it is not over until the fat lady sings. And, um, you know, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And our, and our agent has said, you just, you just wait until 
everything has been signed, and even after it's been signed, there are 72 hours that they have. So they said, please just hold your enthusiasm. Um, so it's not over till the fat lady sings, but I think I can hear her warming up in the back room. And um, so continue to pray. Just continue to pray that things go smoothly. And in another five or six weeks, hopefully that thing will be off of our hands and, um, and we'll be breathing a little bit easier. And we really are so grateful for your support and love and prayer through this time. So grab your copy of the scriptures or your phone or your device or whatever it is and turn to Hebrews in chapter 3. Hebrews 3, so um, the writer of Hebrews has five warnings throughout the book, and we've already gone through warning number one, and today is warning number two that the writer has for us, and we're going to come up on that in just a moment. As we work into this passage, there actually are two unique statements in chapter 3 that I, I need to address, and they are if passages. I, let me just mention them briefly. We're going to have more time as we work through Hebrews to talk about the, the total um, discussion on these kinds of passages because they're going to come up throughout the book. But there are two if passages. Let me show them to you on the screen behind me. Um, here's what they are. <laughs> the first one is in verse 6b of chapter 3. <clears throat> and it says this, And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Now here it, it states this in an if clause. If we hold to this, we are his house. Notice the second if verse is in the passage we're going to be studying this morning, verse 14. And here's what it says. And we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So here's the question that comes out of this. Is our salvation conditional? This is the question. When people come to believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for their sin, and they put their faith and trust in him, is their salvation, is their relationship with him conditional based upon their ability to continue to believe? That's the big question. And based upon these verses and just a superficial reading, you would, you would make you wonder about that. So let me, let me um, <clears throat> just give a quick answer to that, we are going to have the rest of our study in the book of Hebrews. And some of you might be wondering, what's coming up in our new sermon series? Well, that is a three-week series. It's going to give me the opportunity to catch my breath, and then we're back into Hebrews again, just so that way you know. 
we have our Anxious for Nothing series. It's three weeks, and then we're back into Hebrews. And then we're going to go through another seven, eight weeks of Hebrews, and then we're going to have another three-week series. This is how we're going to work this out through the rest of this year. So um, some will say our salvation is conditioned on our ability to hold our confession. So we're going to have time to go through that in the whole of Hebrews. Let me share for now, the writer of Hebrews is quite clear when it comes to our spiritual rescue. Our salvation, let me be plain about this, is conditioned solely on the death of Jesus Christ to fully satisfy God's wrath for all of the sin of those who truly believe in him. And let me state that again. Our salvation is conditioned solely on the death of Jesus Christ to fully satisfy God's wrath for all the sin of those who truly believe in him. Let me show you these verses from the same writer, Hebrews 10, 12, and 14. But when this priest, this is Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is a clincher. For by one sacrifice, he made, here's the key two words, he made perfect forever. You catch that? He made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Before God, those who believe in Jesus are made perfect forever. The reality is down here, we're still being made holy. Would you say perfect forever? Perfect. Now turn and look at the person next to you and say perfect forever. Yeah, that's a lot harder to do, isn't it? I know it is. Before God, before God, the death of Jesus Christ satisfied his wrath for your sin and for mine. He has made you perfect forever to God. He has satisfied God's wrath for your sin and for mine when he died on the cross. Down here, he's still making us holy. And boy, does he not have a lot of work to do in us, amen? It's so true. But... The reality of these if statements is this. I want to give you two thoughts. Our genuine confidence in him, and that's what these passages are about, is evidence of our relationship with him. I I want you to see this. If our confidence in God goes downhill, the warning flag needs to go off. Here's the truth. There are possessors of Christianity and there are pretenders of Christianity. And these tests of confidence reveal the difference between the two. And that's why these are strong warnings. People whose confidence in God goes down, we need to take a hard look inside. Do we truly believe? Are we really possessors of this relationship with God or are we pretenders? And the the writer wants us to realize there's a lot of pretenders. There's a lot of people who think 
They are possessors of a relationship with God, but they're pretenders. And our genuine confidence in God is evidence of our relationship with him. Here's number two, and this is the crux of our text today. Lack of confidence in a believer brings a lack of rewards and rest. This is the crux of today. When a believer lacks confidence in God, as we see from the from the people of Israel, it brings a lack of rewards and rest. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary. Believers who doubt God's word and rebel against him do not miss heaven, but they do miss out on blessings of their inheritance today, and they will suffer the chastening of God. Boom. We don't want that to happen. Let's jump into the text. There's two warnings to this point in Hebrews. The first one we dealt with a few weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 1. It was, do not drift away. Do not drift away. It was this drifting due to inattention and neglect. And here's the warning today. And this is the second one. It is the big one. It's the second one of the book. It brings us eye to eye with the theme of the book of Hebrews. And the theme is this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. That's in chapter 10, verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence in God. It will be richly rewarded. And here's the main idea. This is the big idea. Our lives must show active confidence in God. Active confidence in God. And so here's the, here's the main warning for today. Do not turn away from God. Do not turn away from God. So if you have your, your East Bay Weekly, flip it over on the back. We got a few things to fill in. There's some notes you may want to take, some things you may want to write down. Let's work through this here this morning. And I think there's some things that we're going to walk away with for all of us to be able to grasp and learn and grow from this morning together. Do not turn away from God. Here's how this works out. If you would, look at Hebrews chapter 3. I'm just going to take a moment and we're going to read through this together. I'm going to start in verse 7 and we're going to go right down through the end of the text and then we're going to dig right in. Here we go. Verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Here's the warning, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. 
As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now this is a huge passage to wrap our hearts around, but we're going to jump right into it. I want to give you the definition, and then I want to give you the description of what this turning away is. Here we go. Do not turn away. First, the definitions. Turn away means to withdraw or remove self. Just to withdraw or remove self. It's the first warning. The first warning was a passive drifting. This one is an active decision on our part to pull away or remove our confidence from God. Here's the second one. If you notice, it mentions in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, none of you has a sinful, some translations mentioned evil heart. And this idea is it is an actively straying heart. Remember the first warning of drifting, it was a passive thing. This is an active thing. It is actively moving in the wrong direction. It is an activity that misses the mark of God's intention. So the one that turns away, they are, they are purposefully withdrawing. They have an evil or sinful. They are actively missing the mark. It mentions they have an unbelieving heart. Now notice the word here mentioned means disbelieving it means that of a lack of confidence there is a doubting heart they question god's will they question his strength they question his direction it goes on even in verse 13 it says but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be and here's the next word hardened this idea of hardened, it means obstinate or stubborn or resistant. And, and even though we may not become stubborn immediately, over time there is this growing resistance that come decision time, we're going to go our own direction and resolve to not advance or move forward or harden. And here's where it all comes down to. It mentions in verse 13, it is based, it is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There is intentional trickery, fraud. There's strategic deception. It's all based on a lie. Let me walk it backwards. We hear something we tell ourselves a lie. We believe that lie. We become hardened in our hearts toward God. 
We actively stray, and then we turn away from God. Now you wonder, where in the world would I do something like that? Here's the description. It's from Numbers chapter 13. And here's where we're going to put our car and park here the rest of our morning. This is, the, this is the description in the text. This is what happens in verse 7 through 11. And then in um, verses 15 on down through 19, it's Numbers 13 and 14. So what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to jump from Hebrews 13 all the way over to Numbers 13 and 14. So grab your Bible and turn over to Numbers 13 and 14. If you're wondering where that is, it's right toward the very beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the part of your Bible that's stuck together. Numbers 13 and 14. This is going to light up. You're wondering, how do I turn away from God? I get the definition that there's deception taking place, that the heart becomes hard, that I don't believe things about God, and that I make a decision that turns away from God, but I don't quite get it. How do we turn away from God? Well, here the text gives a description of the nation of Israel and what they did to turn away from God. And just in plain language, this is exactly what happened. This is how it all worked out. The nation of Israel was in Egypt and they were in slavery. And God wanted to deliver them out of slavery. And so he brought Moses to them as a deliverer. And Moses went up against Pharaoh, and these plagues came upon Egypt. And through these plagues, Pharaoh ended up saying, sure, go, take the people with you. And, and Moses took the people out of Egypt, and then later on, Moses said, you know what, that was a bad decision. We're going to have to do all of this work ourselves." And so he sent the army after them to bring them back and then as they did that they came up against the red sea and i'm not sure if you remember any of this account but as the children of israel got up against the red sea they were trapped and god opened up the red sea the children of israel crossed on dry land egypt's army tried to cross then behind him and the red sea swallowed the egyptian army up and israel went across and they were saved on the other side, God led them by a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. God gave them manna to eat. He gave them quail to eat. And then God brought them to the promised land. And he said, I am going to lead you right into the promised land. Here you go. Just 12 spies. Send them in to look at the land and you'll be all set. And they sent in 12 spies. And then the 12 spies came back. And here was the report. Numbers chapter 13. Look at verse 30. Caleb, there were two spies that came back, Joshua and Caleb. Verse 30, Caleb in verse, chapter 13, verse 30. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
And verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. These are the ten spies. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size, we saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes. We look the same to them. And so here's this whole idea that the ten spies come back after, after crossing the Red Sea, after the plagues of Israel, after the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, after the manna, and after the quail, after all of this, and here they can go in in the promised land, and then they look at these people, and then they say, you know what? We can't do it. They're just too big. And then they lose confidence in God. This is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. Then notice what the people said in chapter 14, verse 1. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, let's choose another leader and let's go back. And this is what we're talking about in this warning of turning away from God. This is the deception that causes obstinance and resistance. This is what causes the display of a lack of confidence. It causes people to turn from God, and this is what causes people to turn away. And I'm, and here's your blank right there. This is what contributes to our turning away. It's when we size up our problems and not our God. When we size up our problems and not our God. Now, I just want to talk Turkey with us for a few moments here this morning. Our fear deceives us into not having confidence in God. Can we think about this for a second? It's possible to not be stopped because of our giants, but because of our fears. You realize that? You realize the giants didn't do a thing to the Israelites? The adversary doesn't need to do a thing. They don't even need to lift a finger. I don't even know if the giants even knew about the Israelites. Do you understand that? They may not have even known they were there, but the Israelites were defeated and they lost the battle all because of their lack of confidence in God.
there have been so many times I've faced decisions of God confidence. And I'll bet you there have been times that you've faced decisions of God confidence. Will I follow through on what he has for me or will I fold in fear and not even try? Will I fall for the lie? I'm going to tell you, um, there was a time, and I mentioned it a while back, there was a time when I was dealing with a God-confidence issue. Um, my family and I, uh, we go to Goodwill whenever we uh, go on vacation. That's one of our special events. Doesn't that sound exciting, huh? And, um, you know, you go to a new place and Goodwill has new and exciting things to offer. And, um, and when we were on vacation in Pennsylvania once, we went to this Goodwill, and I, and I mentioned this a couple of years ago here, but this was a God-confidence thing. And we were in Goodwill, and I told the kids, you each have this much money to go and get whatever you want. And they're running around the store and getting things that they want, not necessarily need. And I remember looking over at this woman who was pushing a shopping cart, and she had three kids, and two of them were in the cart, and in the cart was a vacuum cleaner. And I'm telling you folks, there was something that came over me so heavy as I looked at that woman. My family's running around getting stuff that they want, and I'm thinking, this woman is getting an absolutely desperate need for her life, a vacuum cleaner. And I can't even explain it here, but there was something on me so heavy, it was, it was God impressing on my life. Brian, you need to pay for that woman's vacuum cleaner. And then I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? You know, this is the awkward thing. Do I just walk up to her? Hello. <laughs> I would like to pay for, you know, how do you do this? This is really awkward. And and I remember I was starting to wimp out in my mind, and I'm, and I'm thinking, um, you know, if she... If she leaves the store in the next couple minutes, I'll know that this was not God's will. I started thinking. And then wouldn't you know it, she actually turns and goes to the very back of the store. I'm thinking, well, that's not going to happen. I thought, well, let's see how much the vacuum cleaner is. So I actually walked by her and you know, looked in her cart at the vacuum cleaner to see how much it was, and I saw how much it was. Finally, I said, you know what? Time to go for it. And I've never been so nervous in all my life, and I walked up to her, and I said, um, ma'am, this may not make any sense to you at all, 
God has just put it on my heart that I need to pay for your vacuum cleaner. And she looked at me, and I'm telling you, she just started to bawl. And she said, you have no idea, sir. She said, I'm a single mom. I clean home for a living. My vacuum cleaner just died. This is the only way I support my family. She goes, I just became a Christian. She said, I started going to this Baptist church. I said, oh, sorry to hear that. We just had a little worship service right there in the middle of Goodwill. And I thought, my God confidence if I didn't take the opportunity to have God confidence What a reward that was. I remember mentioning to my wife, and we kind of walked out of goodwill, never feeling better in our lives, you know. I remember another opportunity of God confidence when we received a, a mailer for um, having orphan kids from Ukraine. And we thought, we can't take orphan kids from Ukraine. That's just ridiculous. Like, we don't even know their language. And there's a money issue. And, like, we have seven kids. Like, how many? Like, we really need more children, you know? And how are we going to fit them all into our cars? And what will people think? You know, like, what's going on with all this? And... And even though all of those things come to mind, you know, you end up saying sooner or later, we need to have God confidence that you step forward and you do things and you act in faith for what God wants you to do, believing in him. I remember the reality of another God confidence thing that was when I was in high school and my parents made me be involved in a speaking competition because I was the most shy, quiet kid you would probably ever meet. It's not funny. <laughs> and, I, and they made me be in a speaking competition and and. And the, and the crazy thing is, if you didn't speak for at least six minutes, you were going to be docked points. It was between six and eight minutes. And so I kept ending early. And, and my, um, the, the teacher was saying, Brian, then talk slower. You've got to at least go six minutes. You've got to at least go six minutes. I'm thinking, wow, if my congregation only knew that now that I couldn't even speak six minutes, they would never believe it. 
scared to death to speak in public. But there's a point where you need to have God confidence and you do things that you can't do on your own. You do things that are beyond you. You do things that you know you need God for. You do things that stretch you. You do things that exercise the reality that you need God. And that's Hebrews 10.35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And that's the whole thing with, with the people of Israel. They go through all of this. They see everything God did. They come all the way up to the promised land. And here, all they have to do is march in and they say, you know what? The people are too big. We can't do it. Well, obviously you can't do it. You need to have God confidence. And God wants you to size up your problems in light of him. You know, sure there's fear in witness Sure, there's fear in opening up about your addiction to get help. Sure, there's fear in forgiving in your marriage or opening up for care. Sure, there's fear in getting out of that sinful relationship or launching into that service area that God is moving you into. But don't throw away your confidence because the Bible says it will be richly rewarded. That's what it is. So Caleb pleaded with the people in Numbers 14, 9. And he said this, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Here's his God confidence. We're going to do this. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. He's like, let's go. Come on. We've got this thing. This is God confidence. Here's another thing that contributes to our turning away. And man, my time is just flying by. Another thing that contributes to our turning away is um, compounding complaining. Compounding complaining. Numbers 14, 1 to 4, and also verse 10. I, I, I'm just going to walk through this quickly. Um, you realize the people of Israel, get, you with me on the, the people of Israel never saw a giant. Do you realize that? You know, they never saw a giant, the people of Israel. They heard about them through the spies. They feared something they never saw. And then what they heard from others and spread around that they never saw became something bigger than what they did see. So the thing they never saw that they talked about and built up became bigger than what they did see. The plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They did see that. They did see the fire by night. They did see the quail. They did see the manna. But the thing that they never saw became bigger than what they did see. And that all happened 
from the complaining that all happened from the chatter. You ever get around people and you were okay until you got done talking to them? You know, you weren't concerned about anything until you, until you talked to them. And they grow your fear, they grow your worry, they hurt your God confidence. And, and I'm here to tell you that maybe one of the best things you can do is um, maybe delete some of your contacts in your phone. Uh, change some of your conversation habits. And here with this complaining, the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 14, 11, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I performed, I've done all these things. They've seen it. Now we got to finish up. God did forgive them. God did forgive the people of Israel. But due to their lack of confidence, they never saw the blessings they could have had. And uh, everyone above age 20 never went into the promised land. They figure it's about 2 million people. Um, so for the next 40 years, about 2 million people died in the, in the desert. And on average, it's about 137 people a day. So now you know why they wandered in the wilderness. It was a walking funeral that they had every day to, to bury 137 people and move on. 137 people and move on. That's what they did, uh, the people of Israel, every day. And, and that's why there was never rest there's never rest for him. I want you to think in your heart and your mind right now, how can you evidence God confidence? What can you do? I'm not sure what's going on in your life right now, but I guarantee you for everyone sitting here, we have something that we can express growing confidence in God. What is it? Maybe for you as a young person, maybe there is a resistance to peer pressure. Maybe it's standing up in school having confidence in God to be who you should be and standing up in school. Maybe there's a relationship you shouldn't be in. And that's confidence in God to step out of that thing. Even though you know you'll be alone for a while, or it may hurt, that's God confidence. Maybe your marriage is hurting right now. Um, you fight so much and you have more bad days than good. And, 
but you don't dare talk to a pastor or a friend because, you know, it's, what will they think? Well, you know, it's God confidence to say, you know, who cares? Let's get help. Let's work through this thing. Maybe you have an addiction to pornography or to drink or to substance and you've tried to stop on your own so many times but you've failed and you're concerned what someone would think if you just opened up to a friend or a pastor or a small group member and it seems so over the top but to have God confidence and to work with someone that you trust, that's, that's taking a risk. Maybe it's in your witness and, and, and you realize, you know what, I haven't talked to someone. I've never had someone refuse me in witness. I've been the one that stopped me. And maybe I need to invest in a friend. Maybe I'm the one that needs to build the relationship. I'm the one that stops me. How can we evidence confidence in God? I'm going to give you three ways to help us keep our confidence in God. With this, we're going to finish up. One's in uh, Hebrews 13. One's in uh, verse 13 of Hebrews 13, and I love this. He says, um, encourage one another daily. Get people around us who have God confidence. Get people around us who have God confidence. So instead of getting complainers, instead of getting doubters, instead of getting people that say it can't be done, instead of getting all the naysayers, how about you get some people around you that say, you know what? Let's do this thing, man. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Get people around you who have God confidence, who have been there. Because we all have weak times. We all have times where our faith and our confidence can waver and we get complacent and we think that we're better off staying where we are. That's the safe thing than taking a risk and moving forward. And we need people to say, hey, let's go. Let's nudge forward. Let's go. Let's have some God confidence. You're going to miss out on the blessing if you don't move forward. Let's do this thing. Get people around who have God confidence. Number two. Ban complaining. Start praying. I think we banned complaining here about three months ago, didn't we? This is a rebanning of complaining. It's rebanned. Next month we're going to ban sin. Um, ban complaining. I always wonder what good comes from complaining. You think of any? 
What good? It spreads. It spreads fast. And it makes a mess of things. It grows our problems. And it seems to shrink our vision of God. Complaining stinks. And we need to be careful of the people we have in our lives that speak that to us. Thirdly, we need to remember all God has done. While we restrict the complaining and those that amplify our problems, we need to elevate God and all he has done everything he's done probably one of the biggest things to elevate folks is the cross to remember what he's done on the cross where he died for us where jesus gave his life for our sin that all who believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life to elevate him to remember his blessings in our lives. Remember all God has done. Those are things that help us keep our confidence in God. Would you stand with me for a moment? I want to encourage you. Don't build a monument. Don't build a monument to what God did. Continue to have a movement in your life to what God is doing. Have God confidence and keep moving forward. God confidence will be richly rewarded. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we acknowledge we need you. We cannot do these things on our own, and our confidence is in you. It's in you alone. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, our hope on you. May we take steps of faith, things that look like risks, but to launch out and do the things that we know you want us to do. Hard things, but blessed things. And God, we pray that in them you will do great things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.